Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 5, The Kings, the human ones. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can find Episode 1 easily at 15minutesontheway.com. Otherwise, brace yourself for a podcast in God's voice telling His side of your story. Well, as much as I like building suspense as we go along, I'm going to go ahead and spill the beans with regard to some of the lessons to learn from David's entry into Saul and Israel's life. The first account we unpacked in the last episode has David coming onto Saul's radar because of the shepherd boy's musical talents. There's a layer in it for you to boot if you'll have it, so listen closely. First. We are talking about David's creative use of unstructured time here, how he kept from being bored out there with all those sheep. He could have done any number of things, but instead he went to the very minor trouble of carrying a lyre with him when he went out to the field and then noodled around on it when he had the chance. He didn't neglect his shepherding, but instead of just sitting there like a bump on a log in low-activity times, he did something constructive. The boy wasn't out there practicing for hours a day like a crazed classical piano prodigy. He was just putting his spare time to constructive use, building skill and facility little by little over time. Now, this may seem an odd time to take the topic up, but many of you are smart enough to have already seen where I am about to go with this. I am not going to name any specific activity here, But you know very well how much time a whopping percentage of your habitat spends sitting like a bump on a log instead of doing something constructive with their spare time. You know very well how much time you do the same. I'm not trashing rest, friend. I invented rest, remember? What I am talking about, though, is intentional use of the time I have given you of the life I have given you. Your primary purpose for being is not to be entertained. Don't build bunions on your buttocks in front of a screen most nights of the week. Build a skill or a knowledge base with a hobby that makes you happy and brings out your creative side and ultimately connects you to other people. It'll certainly bear fruit in your life on physical, emotional, and spiritual levels and might end up being a blessing to others, just like David's idle practice ends up doing for Saul in the instant instance. On a larger scale, the second reason this musical introduction appears where it does is that this first scene of David with Saul who as king officially represents the entire nation of Israel, foreshadows a very important role David will play for the entire nation. Yes, he's going to be the king, and you'd better believe we are going to get to that in a couple minutes. But David's role as a musician cannot be underestimated in the impact it makes on the people of Israel, and consequently, on pretty much everyone who's worshipped me ever since, including you. David is the first recorded Renaissance man, long ways before what your habitat calls the Renaissance comes along. 
His musical skills combine with his love for me and deep thoughts about me, and over his lifetime he composes some of the most important and longest-lasting songs directed at us ever. As you can imagine, we'll have a bit to say about the Book of Psalms here in a little while. But suffice it to say that the existence of the Psalms and their role in the worship life of Israel and yours as well is why David's first courtly entry is a musical one. Then, as in Genesis 2-4, we start the account of David's entrance over. He's still been anointed, of course, but now the focus shifts far from the arts and converges instead upon war. Back to 1 Samuel 17. Suddenly, the Philistines decide to take care of their Hebrew neighbors once and for all, gathering their armies for battle up in Soko along the Elah Valley in Judah's territory. It'll be centuries before Sun Tzu teaches anyone about guerrilla warfare, so Saul just hauls his army up to the parallel hillside and stares across the valley at the Philistines. And you know what, or rather who, happens next. The big guy, Goliath the giant. Yes, he's very, very tall. He's head and shoulders above Saul, that's for sure, who's head and shoulders above all Israel, as you'll recall. And there's a connection to be found in that. Everyone, including Samuel, thought Saul looked like a king because he was really tall and really strong. Sure, Sure, those are good things to have in a king, but they don't make the king. The whole point I am making in choosing David is boiled down to this moment of Goliath's challenge of Israel. There is more to true strength than meets the eye. Time and time again, I've brought my people to victory in instances where they clearly didn't have strength or might superior to their opponents. And this could just as easily have been a similar victory for Saul and his army, poised as they are. The problem, however, is that everyone's looking at Goliath solely with their eyes. They're reduced to mere physical understanding of the situation, and faith is not in the equation for anyone in spite of multiple examples in the past that should serve as reminders of my presence tipping all balances. Sure, the Philistine giant is stronger than anyone on our side of the valley. So what? So is Egypt and a host of other beaten challengers. The real indictment of the day comes, as you know, when David enters. He brings lunch up to his brothers at the battlefield and hears this Philistine talking trash at Yahweh's army. On hearing Goliath's challenges, issued on a daily basis with no answer thus far, David asks the men around him, What'll be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this shame from Israel? Who does this uncircumcised Gentile think he is, defying the armies of Yahweh the living God? Since no one has spoken like this thus far with regard to the scary giant, Word of David's words moves through the camp and reaches Saul's ears, and the king sends for the young man. Their exchange is telling, 
and reveals just how differently these two are looking at this situation, and thus life in general. David's statement to Saul is that, This guy is nothing to be afraid of. Shoot, I'll go and fight him. Saul's reaction to David boils down to, Since you're just a kid, you must be kidding. As young and small and non-experienced a boy as you are, and as old and big and skilled a warrior as he is? David replies, Listen, I'm a shepherd, and there have been plenty of times that I've saved sheep from the mouth of a lion or bear. I've even killed some. If Yahweh has saved me every time from those animals, he'll certainly save me from this one who's defied the armies of the living God. And looking at the situation at hand, Saul doesn't really have any other options, unless his heart turns and he sees the situation as it really is. Unless he sees the situation the way David is seeing it. Instead, since David is the only volunteer, because he's the only one with faith in my ability to triumph through him, Saul accepts David's offer with, Go, and may Yahweh be with you. But then, in further proof of his seeing things with clunky, the only thing happening here is what I can see with my eyes, eyesight, Saul dresses David in his Saul's armor, or at least tries to. Remember, Saul's a tall fellow, and his armor is heavy. David is not only of average size, but he's young and can't even walk with the stuff on much less move with the alacrity required for hand-to-hand -hand combat. I'm sure you're getting the point of contrast between these two kings of Israel by now. The limited sight of Saul and the faithful vision of David. Nowhere is that more pronounced than when David leaves Saul's armor behind and steps out into the Elah Valley with no protection, not even a shield. All the boy's got is his sling and his shepherd's bag, into which he slips five smooth stones from the nearby stream bed. And the differences just pile on. Goliath is well-armed and armored, sword, spear, javelin, helmet, coat of mail, and body armor, all heavy bronze. Plus, he has a shield and its bearer with him. This means he can use both hands using his weapons, not having to keep track of his shield, which he can holler for from his shield-bearer in the highly unlikely event he ever needs it. Then, of course, in contrast, there's David, wearing his soft shepherd's clothes with a strip of leather in his hand and what looks to be a lunch bag over his shoulder. Goliath takes one look at this short and scrawny youngster and says, Am I a dog that you send a boy to throw sticks at me? Dagon curse you all in this flea of a pipsqueak. And other more colorful curses that shall remain unrepeated. To his further credit, David is not impressed by Goliath's words, stature, or armaments, and declares, You want to talk about sticks? Sticks are what you've got in your hand, chum. 
Your sword, spear, and javelin are nothing but sticks in the sight of Yahweh, the God of Israel, in whose name I come before you. You're not here to fight with me. You're here to fight with him, and he's got you right where he wants you and is about to put you right in my hands. You just watch. I'm going to strike you down and cut off your big, ugly, defiant head. In spite of your apparent strength, you're carrion, you're roadkill, and so's the rest of your army. When the great Philistines are flattened by the so-called puny Israelites, the whole world will know that there truly is a powerful God in Israel who needs no sword or spear to win his battles. And they rush at each other, these two champions of their peoples, Goliath hefting his bronze spear that weighs nearly as much as David, about to skewer some shepherd kebab, while the dwarfed Hebrew reaches into his bag for one of those smooth stones from the stream bed and it's all over before it's begun. You see, David wasn't just practicing the liar out there in the fields. He was also practicing his slingshot aim, on a run, often aiming at running targets not the sheep but their predators. So as he swings and slings the rock, he says a little prayer for it to fly home and lets loose just like he has thousands of times before. Just to make sure you're picturing the moment, I need to tell a few of you that David's not using what your habitat calls a slingshot, that sturdy forked wooden frame with rubber bands attached to the top sides of the Y, with the other ends bound to a central pocket with which to shoot whatever small missile you're catapulting out of it. There are no rubber bands in David's time, no rubber, latex, or any other substance you are thinking might just be lying around or falling off trees somewhere. No, the only thing that you're picturing and what David's holding have in common is the leather pouch into which the smooth, so they won't catch on anything when they're released, smooth stones are placed. What David's got is a braided cord around three feet long with that pouch at the center, a loop to go over his thumb at one end so that the whole thing doesn't fly out of his hand, and a knot at the other end for a firm grip as he swings it in circles to gain maximum velocity. At a precise apex in the arc of his swing, David lets go of the knot end of his sling, releasing that smooth streambed stone at just the right moment for the maximum speed and accuracy that even Walter Johnson would envy. Walter is considered by many to be the greatest baseball pitcher of all time. Google him. David's not only skilled at this, he also has my hand of anointing on him today. So this 70-mile-an-hour stone doesn't just hit the giant. It hits him square in the forehead with such force that it sinks into Goliath's skull, and he drops like a simile face down in the field. No high-tech for the day weapons of bronze, just a stone, some cord, and a patch of leather, and a faithful human hand in the hands of a faithful God. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook. Then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. You can find a link to our Patreon page there as well. We're sponsored by the Oak Haven Church in the Barn in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oleksandr Zadoyani writes our theme music at smartmediamusic.com. Kenny Eicher designs our website graphics, kennyeicherart.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.